Good morning. Special good morning to everyone that's listening on the radio this morning and those that are visiting here at First Church. I have a few announcements this morning before we start our worship service. Congratulations to Brad and Casey Phillips on the daughter of their on the birth of their daughter Lenny Joe, who arrived on Friday, March fifteenth. She's the granddaughter of Dave and Lynn Horseman and Jeff and Diane Phillips. Wonderful Wednesday is still in progress. Uh, dinner is served at 5.45 on Wednesday evenings, open to everyone. So please uh, come and eat dinner with us if you want to this week. Today is the last day to order the uh, Otis Spunkmeyer cookie dough. You can see any of the junior or senior high youth that are in church today are stopped by the church office after the services. And junior and senior high youth, your spring, your summer trip deposits are due to Tory by this coming Wednesday, the 27th. And if those are able, would please stand for the call to worship and the praise song that follows. For the gods, I will sing your praise. I will bow down toward your holy temple and raise you your holy, your unfailing love and faithfulness. For you have so exalted your soul in degree that surpasses your fame. When I called you, you answered me. You greatly emboldened me. May all the kings of the earth praise your praise you, Lord, when they hear what you have decreed. May they sing the ways of the Lord, for the Lord, the glory of the Lord is great. Lo, the Lord is exalted. He looks kindly on the lowly. Though lofty, he sees them from afar. Though I walk in the midst of the trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the anger of my foes. With your right hand you save me. The Lord will vindicate you. Your love, Lord, endures forever. Do not abandon your works. We will continue to stand and sing how deep the Father's love for us.
We ask you to greet your neighbors as the children come forward for children's chat. Good morning, everybody. Thanks, Reagan. All right. So today, Pastor Joel is going to be talking about one of the most famous Bible verses in the whole Bible. In fact, some people who have never read the Bible still know this verse. Do you know what it is? It's John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Well, I brought some stuff because I want to measure. I want to measure just how much does God love us. So I brought some stuff. You can tell this is very well loved from my kitchen. But what is this supposed to measure? Liquids. You're exactly right. If I'm in my kitchen and uh, it says put one cup of water in the pot to make macaroni and cheese, can I use this? Yeah, sure. So um, if I were measuring milk or I was measuring water, I suppose I could try to put oil in here if I felt like it. I mean, cakes take oil, right? Okay. So um, if I did that... Could I measure God's love in my measuring cup? You think I can? Well, 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 I can try. I mean, let's see. The Bible says that hmm, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want my cup runneth over. So if I scooped up God's love, it wouldn't fit. It would keep falling out. I don't have anything bigger I don't have anything bigger. Maybe I'll try something else. What's this? Yeah, it's a it's a big, great big ruler. It's a yardstick. Um, can I measure stuff with this? Yeah. yeah. Can I measure you? Yeah. Yeah. Well, stand up. I'll measure you. I don't know. Let's see. Let's see. Uh, actually, you're you're a little taller than this. That means you're taller than a yard. In fact, a little extra. You're a lot taller than this yard. Man, I can hardly measure. Maybe I can measure you. Are, are you small enough I can measure you? Uh, no, you're tall too. Let's see. Who else can I measure? Joe, can I measure you? Oh, nope. Man, I can't even. Oh, oh should I measure Connor? I think he's extra tall. Oh, man. Man, this is just the wrong size. Now, how am I supposed to measure God's love if I can't even measure you? Because the Bible says, man, God's love is higher than the heavens. Well, you're taller than this. If God's love is higher than the heavens, that's can I use this to measure all that? No. No, it's just not big enough. Well, I got one more thing. Maybe we can measure God's love in time. Could, could I time Something? Yeah. You you have one of these in your house, right? It's a timer. No. No. No, you don't. Yeah. Sometimes you use your phone if I need a timer, but you know I like to be a little old school when I bake. And. Uh, oh yeah, you sure do. I wonder. I wonder. Could we time Connor skipping all the way back there and all the way back? No. No. Yes. No. You want to try it? No, he doesn't want to try it. Oh, you want to try it? Okay, I'll let you. Okay, go down to the bottom of the steps. Okay, you ready? You got to be careful. Okay, are you ready? On your mark, get set, go. Okay, she's going down. She's going down. Is she coming back? Is she coming back? There she comes. All right. And stop. You made it in 11 seconds. 
seconds. Man, this is a big church. You're really good. Oh, you, you do? Well, maybe we'll do it a little later. Well, because uh, I just created a monster. I'm sorry. Um, apologize to everyone in the audience. Um, so if I tried to measure God's love in time, our Bible says his love is everlasting to everlasting. Do you think my timer has enough numbers to measure that? No, it really doesn't. Just like everything else I've brought from home to measure, I can't measure God's love. I can't. It's just too big. It's just too great. It's just too wonderful. So, I guess we'll just have to keep trying. Um, we're just going to have to keep trying. So would you bow your head and pray with me? Would you bow your head and pray with me? My prayer for you today is that you understand how wide, how long, how deep how his love really is for us. May you experience it through great So great, you will never fully understand it. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love. Love so great that we can't measure it. And that you gave your one and only son so that we could have eternal life. Amen. Killed this week in the Gundas province of Afghanistan. Specialist Joseph P. Collette, 29, from Lancaster, Ohio. Sergeant First Class Will D. Lindsay, 33, from Cortez, Colorado. Lost at Fort Sam Houston in Texas. Sergeant Cody L. Bowman, 25. Lost in North Little Rock, Arkansas. Senior Airman Sean McKeo, Jr., 23 from Westbrook, Maine. Lost in Arizona, Sergeant First Class Ethan Carpenter, 30, from Trumansburg, New York. Lost Fort Wainwright, Alaska. Private First Class Prentice Lewis Rankin, 20, from Bruton, Alabama. Lost in Jacksonville, Florida. Aviation Machinist Mate Second Class Dakota Kington, 24, from Jacksonville, Florida. Thank you. Let's stand and let's sing about God's amazing grace for us. Let's, if you're able, I invite you to stand and sing number 202 with us.
Amen. You may be seated. Father, we do thank you this morning for your amazing grace. Lord, we thank you that we can receive it by faith, Lord, not because we've earned it, not because uh, of our good works, but because of your love for us. I thank you that your love is higher than the heavens, that it is greater than anything that we could possibly imagine. And Lord, it is because of that love that we are here gathered today to worship you and praise you. I do pray, Lord, for all those that are here with us this morning in the sanctuary that are listening also on the radio, that you would uh, help us to know and experience your love in real and practical ways this day and every day. And Lord, enable us to respond to your love through faithful obedience to you and your word. Lord, you, you are so good to us. Uh, we, we would be remiss to, to ignore uh, the many ways that you've answered our prayers, the many good things that you've done in our lives. Your word says that all good and perfect gifts are from you. And so we praise you this morning for, uh, for the ways that you've worked in our lives, Lord. We acknowledge that, that even just the fact that we are here today, that we are standing in this place, is, is a blessing from you. And so help us, Lord, to, to appreciate those things. Thank you, Lord, for the newness of spring, uh, the sun shining, uh, the reminder that you are recreating us, Lord, uh, into and, and the image of your son. And that the, the, new, the new season, the, the sunshine, the new life that we will begin to see in the, in the creation around us is a reminder of the new life that, that you bring to us through your son, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, help us to, to always remember that and help us to, to respond in kind to your, to your grace in our lives. I do also, we also come before you this day to lift up our praises and, and also our concerns, Lord. Uh, there, we acknowledge that, that life is not easy, that uh, there are many difficulties and hardships that we face, uh, things, Lord, that, we, uh, that, are, that are known to us, and also, Lord, those things that we carry within us that nobody else knows about except you. Uh, we lift those up to you, and we lay them at the foot of your cross and ask that your will would be done. We pray for healing for those who are in need of it. We pray for provision for those who, who are lacking. We pray for reconciliation for relationships. We pray for peace where there is not peace right now, Lord. Um, we lift all those things up and, and into your care and ask for your will to be done. We also pray for our leaders. Your word commands us to pray for those who are in authority over us. And so we lift up our, our nation, our, our, our federal, our state, our local governments to you, Lord. We ask for wisdom and discernment as, as they make decisions that, that uh, impact our lives. We ask for peace to be known and experienced in our world. And, and for all, Lord, things to, to ultimately point to you and your, your goodness and your glory. We pray all these things in the name of Christ who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. This time I invite those who are helping with the offering to come forward. Uh, Lord, we thank you that we have this opportunity to give back to you and ask that you would bless this offering to further the work of your kingdom in this place. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.
Our first reading comes from the book of John, chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And in Colossians, chapter 1, verses 13 through 14. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You may be seated. Thank you. Thank you, Connie. Let's pray together again. Lord, we are grateful for your love for us. We're grateful that we can gather here and and we can know about your love because you've given us your word, which teaches us about uh, the great lengths you went to redeem us and to save us, to make us your people. And so as we gather today, uh, as we open up your word together, help us to know and experience that love for ourselves. Uh, I pray that you'd open up our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us this day. It's in Christ we pray. Amen. I can't believe it's been 10 years ago now, but uh, back in 2009, uh, when Tim Tebow was the quarterback of the Florida Gators and they were playing in the national championship game, uh, he was, uh, this was on January 8, 2009, uh, Tim Tebow, who had been uh, made famous and, and, and was well known for his faith, he was not shy about those things, uh, and is still not shy about those things today. Uh, he wrote uh, what became what what became kind of one of the things he was known for, he wrote just simply John 3.16 on, on his eye black for that national championship game. And, of course, there were plenty of, of close-up shots of his face during the game, him on the sidelines. Uh, and, and one of the results of the game that we found out later, not about the game itself, but about the response that people had to that eye black and the, the reference to John 3.16, uh, became the most searched-for item on Google that night, in fact, 94, it said 94 million different people searched John 3.16 on Google and, and read the words of Scripture that you just heard Connie read for us tonight. The impact that, that, that he had on that game was, or I should say, that moment had was, was so much more than just the game. Uh, in fact, it was, it was so amazing that, that this well-known verse, John 3.16, was was searched for, was read by millions of people around the world as a result of his willingness to put that on his eye black. But today we're not talking about Tim Tebow or, or what he's done on the football field or otherwise. We're talking about God's great love for us. Uh, and Nikki's children's chat just, just hit the nail on the head. Um, there's some, there's plenty of Sundays I feel like I could just come up here and say like ditto, right? And just, be done with it. That was the sermon right there. And today was one of those Sundays just talking about God's amazing love and, and just how, how high and deep and wide God's love for us is. Uh, and, and as we've been talking about what it means to find our identity in Christ, to understand and know who we are in Christ, uh, this sermon is really kind of a turning point for us. And, 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 and what I mean by that is, is the first two weeks, the last two Sundays, we've talked about things that are true for all people at all times. We've all been created in God's image with a purpose to know him, to love him, to, to be in that relationship with him. As, as Jesus puts it in Matthew 22, to love God and to love others. That is why God has created us. And that is true for everyone who has ever lived. 
Last week we talked about how we are broken by sin, how, how that perfect relationship that we were meant to have with God has been distorted and lost because sin entered the world through Adam and Eve and affects all of us. Again, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all been created in His image, and we've all sinned and fallen short of His glory. And so, so the last two weeks have really applied to everyone, everyone who's ever lived and everyone who has... Uh, who has ever lived is, is, is those two things are true of them. And today we're going to be talking, uh, continue to talk in that trajectory, but we're going to see there's a change here. There's a, there's a, there's something that is, that we're going to be talking about today that is a turning point for us. God loves the world. God loves all of his creation. We see that in John 3:16. for God so loved the world. That is an unconditional statement right there. That is the premise, that is the foundation of God's action in this world, is that he loves his creation, including all of the people he has made. And it's out of his love for us, out of, out of that love for his creation, that he has sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross, to, to, be, ri- to be raised again to new life, so that we can be forgiven and saved. And so then, so then we've been talking about something that is true for all of us. We're created in God's image. He, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God loves all of us. He loves the world so that he, and, and because of that, he has redeemed and saved us. But we're going to see today, and we'll talk about it more in just a moment, that, that there is a response there that, that God calls each one of us to. That God calls us, and, and it is true that, that all of these things we've talked about so far are true, and, and so then the question is, how do we respond? How should we respond to the good news of the gospel? And that's what we're going to be talking about some more today and in the weeks to come. Now, I do want to say that doesn't mean that being forgiven and being saved is only available to a certain number of people. By all means, that is available to everyone. Scripture is clear that God desires that, that all people be saved, that God desires that all people repent and turn to him. That is why he sent Jesus to the cross. That is why Jesus died, and, and that is why Jesus was raised again to life, so that we may know and experience his love for us. Somebody once said that, that Christianity is the most inclusive and the most exclusive religion in the world. And, and forgive me if I've, if I've said this before, I probably have, but, but I, it bears repeating. Christianity is the most exclusive religion in the world because Jesus himself says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so in that sense, it's very exclusive. It's only through Jesus, only by his death, his resurrection, that, that we have eternal life. It is by him and no other means can we be saved, can we be made right with God. We can't do it ourselves. No other religions, no other faiths can do it. It's only through Christ. And so in that sense, that is a very narrow, very exclusive faith. But it's also the most inclusive religion in the world because there are no other conditions on that promise. Jesus doesn't say you have to do X, Y, or Z in order to experience and receive my love. Jesus doesn't say you have to be born to a certain people group. You have to have lived during a certain time. You have to have a certain amount of money that you can give to my church in order to be saved. None of that is true. That promise of eternal life is available to all people, no matter the color of your skin, no matter uh, where you lived or when you've lived, no matter what kind of job you have, no matter what kind of education you've had. It's 
all people can be saved through Christ. And so in that sense, uh, Christianity is also the most inclusive religion because there are no stipulations. There are no prerequisites. It is all about the grace and the love of Christ for us. And so in that sense, uh, we also, we, then, then our responsibility is to respond to that grace that he's made available to us. And, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. But first we need to, we need to get down to maybe a more foundational level and talk about what is love in the first place. What does it mean to say that God has so loved the world? What does it mean to say that God has loved us with such a great love that he has redeemed us and saved us of his own accord? Well, I think we've, we've redefined, we've twisted the under, our, our understanding of love in the world today. We often think of love simply as, as acceptance or, or tolerance or blind approval of another person. In other words, it's an all or nothing kind of statement. If you love me, you will approve of everything I say, everything I do. You will accept me just as I am. And if you can't do that, then you don't truly love me. All right, We've, we see that all of the time in our culture, right? If, and, and, and the opposite of that is, is true in that sense, right? That if we don't offer our blind approval to another person, if we don't accept every single decision that they've ever made, then, then we must hate them. Right? We've seen that kind of, maybe not in those that that uh, conf- uh, those kind of words there, but but we see that truth play itself out in our culture. Right, this idea that love is is this blind approval or acceptance of another person. But we know that's not true, practically speaking. Right, for any of you parents out there, you know you love your kids, an unconditional, beyond a shadow of a doubt, love that you have for them. But there is no way that you can say that you've approved of every decision they've ever made, right? We all know, practically speaking, that, that you can love someone. You can have, have a love that you can't even understand or explain. Do you just know it's there for, for, uh, for your children, for your spouse, for your family, for a friend? That is going to be true even when they make stupid decisions, right? Even when they do things that aren't, uh, aren't, aren't pleasing to you, right? Those are all, we know that to be true. And so love is, is greater than our culture's definition of it. Love is, I believe, more profound, more significant than just blind approval or blind acceptance. And in a sense, if you think about it, that is a very shallow understanding of love. And we see love demonstrated for us in Christ through Scripture. God's love is more powerful. It's more transforming. It's more life-changing than simple blind acceptance or approval. And we see God's love demonstrated in a variety of ways, and I want to highlight a couple of them for you. One, an example from the Gospels, and then one later on uh, in the New Testament that helps us understand that a little bit more clearly. The first example is from John chapter 8. If you'd like, as always, to follow along in Scripture uh, in your own Bibles or a pew Bible, I encourage you to do that. We'll be in John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. I'm going to kind of summarize the, the scene here and then look at just the closing verses of that section. So again, a, a passage that may be very familiar to you. This is the, the woman who had been caught in adultery. Jesus one day is, is teaching, and, and, and as he's doing so, these, these teachers of the law come and bring a woman who they claim had been caught in the act of adultery. And they, they present her to him and say, you know, basically, they all know the law. 
right? Uh, they all know the law in the Old Testament is that uh, uh, an adulterer is to be stoned. Uh, the, the punishment for that sin and crime is death. And so they try to trap Jesus. They, they place her before and say, what should we do, right? This is what the law requires. What are you going to do? But Jesus remains silent. He, he bends down. He starts writing something in the dirt. Uh, and, and eventually, as they are still there, he, he stands again and said, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to cast a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and, and wrote on the ground. It says in verse 9, At this, those who heard him began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Now we often maybe stop reading the, the passage there. There's this, we, we look at this passage right there and we say that is, that is love, that is blind acceptance, that's blind approval. This woman had obviously sinned or so that had been presented to Jesus in that way. And, and so as Jesus you know, gives this wise saying about let he who is perfect cast the first stone and and the others begin to go away realizing that they are not perfect themselves, that they have no right to condemn her. Then Jesus acknowledges that fact and says, well, then neither do I condemn you. There's this, it's a scene that seems to set up this understanding of love and acceptance that we so often see in our culture. But that is not the end of the story. Jesus says, neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. You see, there's two sides to the coin here. And, and when we look at it in this light, we see that love is, is not either or, it's both and. The significance of God's love is that he, has, he, he does not condemn us in our sin. That, that, that Jesus is able to truly tell the woman, neither do I condemn you. He declares that to her. But he doesn't leave it at that either. He also says, therefore, go and sin no more. You see, the, the love of God is, is a love that accepts us just as we are. Scripture elsewhere says that love is, the, is, is initiated by God. He has loved us so much that even in our sin, even while we are enemies with God, he has loved us and he died for us so that we could be forgiven. But it doesn't just tolerate or accept sin either. He says, neither do I condemn you, so go and sin no more. There's also the other side, recognizing sin for what it is, sin for sin, and encouraging a transformation and a change as a result of that grace. So it's neither blind approval nor rejection, but it, it's also not uh, judgmental um, condemnation for people. It's transforming grace. Notice again, John 3:16 and 17. Again, such a famous uh, passage as, as Nikki pointed out for us earlier today. It's one that's so familiar to us. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. In verse 17, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Words, Jesus is here on a rescue mission, Right? He's here to save, to redeem the lost. He is that, that, that shepherd who is seeking out the lost sheep. He's, he's the woman who's searching for that lost coin in her home. He's the, the father, the loving father who is waiting to embrace the child as he returns home. 
That is the image of love that we get in Scripture. And then later on in 1 John chapter 4, we get this spelled out, spelled out for us even more clearly. I want to read 1 John chapter 4, uh, verse, beginning in verse 7. He says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. And this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. See, God is love. God is the embodiment. It's not God knows how to love people. God is love himself. It's a defining characteristic of who he is. But his love doesn't excuse our sin. It doesn't, it doesn't say our sin is no problem or no big deal. It says this is love, that, that God loved us first, but also that he sent Jesus into this world to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. In other words, his love was so great and so profound that he dealt with sin when we could not. He loved us so greatly that he didn't ignore our sin and leave us in that, but yet he, he redeemed us and he saved us out of our sin so that we could be in a relationship with him. In other words, I think a good way to understand what love is truly all about, what love is from a biblical and, and Christ-centered perspective, is, is wanting the best for someone else. It really is that simple. Wanting the best for someone else. In other words, and, and what this means for us in Christ is that, that the best thing that we could experience and know is forgiveness of sins. Not say your sin is no big deal, but to, to realize the reality and the depth of our sin so that we can turn from it and turn towards Christ. So that the best thing for us was that, that Jesus dying in our place because we couldn't do it for ourselves. We couldn't save ourselves. We could never pay the price that needed to be paid. And so the best thing for us was his self-sacrificing love on display at the cross. And notice, too, that our sin, it didn't nullify God's love. Because, you know, we messed up. We made a mess of this world. We made a mess of our own lives. We talked about that last week. But that didn't nullify God's love for us. In fact, it's because of our sinfulness that we can know and experience God's love to an even greater degree. Now, that doesn't excuse our sin. That doesn't justify our sin. But it's our sin. It's our, when we realize the depth of our sin, when we realize just how far we've fallen, then we can truly understand just how great and profound God's love for us is. See, love costs something, doesn't it? It costs something to love another person and truly love them. Not just accept or tolerate them, but truly love them with Christ-like love. It costs something. And for God, that cost us, that cost Him the life of His one and only Son. Jesus died so that we can truly experience God's love for us. See, that's what love is all about. That's what love is, and that's what God has done for us, is, is, is demonstrated His love by dying on the cross for us. And so we, can, we know that we are loved because we can look to the cross and see that and know that for ourselves.
But again, what, so what effect does His love have on us? It means that we are forgiven and that we are saved. I'm going to throw out some, some Scripture passages here. We're not going to be able to read them all together this morning, but I do encourage you to, to take the time to look at them yourselves. The first one is, is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1-10. through 10. What a great passage that helps us to understand God's love for us and the fact that we are forgiven. See, Ephesians chapter 2 begins with this description of our hopelessness. We are lost. We are dead in our sins and our transgressions. That all of us have been affected by that, and by nature we are deserving of God's wrath because of our sin. But picking up in verse 4, it says, Because of His great love for us, not anything we've done, but because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. See, that's the good news of the gospel right there. We were dead in our sins. We were lost. There was nothing we could do to save ourselves. But it is simply because of God's great love for us, because of that love that we just talked about and described, He chose to redeem us and to save us. And there's nothing we could do to earn it. It says right there, clear as day, it is, it is not by our works so that we could boast about it, so that we could brag about it and say, look how good I am. It is simply by God's grace, His free gift of love to us that we can know and experience that we have been that we have been made alive in Christ. In Romans chapter 11 verse 6 Paul says that that if grace can be earned it would no longer be grace, right? It would no longer be grace if it was something that we could do to deserve it, but it is simply by his love that we can know it. Romans chapter 5 verses 6 through 8 describes that we were all that, that God did this for us while we were still sinners, while we were still at, uh, at, at, while we were still enemies with God, He saved us and redeemed us. Would you be willing to die for your enemy? Would you be willing to suffer and, and, and experience shame and, and punishment for someone that would otherwise not care? I mean, that's, that's what God did for us, isn't it? God died for us while we were still sinners. We looked at a couple other passages last week and we kind of cut them off a little bit short. The main passage we looked at last week was Romans chapter 3, 23. You know, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But that is not where that passage ends. It goes on to talk about the great grace and forgiveness that we see in Christ. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and all are then justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate His righteousness, but because in His forbearance He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate His righteousness at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus." That's an important line that there at the end, to be just and the one who justifies. 
You see, there's a couple different approaches that God could have taken to our sin, the problem of sin, and, and, and how to, to redeem us. God is God. He, can, he could have done this in a variety of ways, right? He could have just simply said, well, don't worry about it. It's no big deal. Sin's not that much of a problem, right? I will just wipe your slate clean and we'll go from there. But what that would do is that would compromise God's justice, God's holiness. God, you know, sin is, is an affront to God. It is, we have offended him. We have wronged him. And so to simply just say it's no big deal is, would be to compromise God's character, his justice, his holiness. It would be to downplay that aspect of God's character in order to, to forgive us. You know, the other thing God could have done is just left us in our own sin, right? He could have just said, you made your bed, now you've got to lie in it, and, and left us that way. But that would have compromised God's love, would it have not? To, it, would have, it would have upheld his justice and his righteousness, but, but his love would have been compromised as a result of that. So both of those options are, are not, not possible, not, not in line with God's character. There must be some other way for God to both uphold his righteousness and show us the love that he has for us in Christ. And that's exactly what we see at the cross. He is just and the one who justifies. And there's a, there's a story I was told once that I think illustrates for this for us uh, perfectly. There's a story of two men, both friends growing up, both went to college together. Um, but at that point, their lives took dramatically different directions. One went on to study to be a lawyer, went on for a very successful career, eventually becoming a judge. The other uh, fell on some hard times, did not finish his schooling, went on and, and ended up having to, to rely on a life of crime in order to provide for himself. And for many, many years, their, their lives went in two completely different trajectories. But eventually they found themselves together again. One, the judge in a court, the other, uh, the defendant, guilty of his crimes. And when the time came to sentence this person, the judge realized, of course, who was standing in front of him, this friend that he had had so long ago. Now, it would have been the judge's prerogative to, to, to give him the uh, minimum sentence or time served and just let him go free. But that would have compromised his ability to be a judge who would truly listen to his rulings, who would follow, who would trust him anymore if he were to simply let his friends go clean, right? The other option was to throw the book at him, punish him just as he deserved, but that would also mean that he was sentencing his friend to a life in jail and punishment for his crimes. So he was kind of caught in between. He wasn't sure what to do. So this judge, he, he, he stood before the court and, and he made his ruling. He, he, threw, he, he gave this person, his former friend, this maximum punishment under the law. He struck his gavel and the, the sentence was, was final. And then afterwards, he stood up, stepped down from, from the bench, took off his robe, set them aside, went and stood by his friend, and took out the checkbook and wrote the fine for him. And then paid the fine that his friend owed. See, that's an image of, of what God has done for us. That judge didn't compromise his character, yet he was able to still demonstrate the love that he had for his friend he was just and the one who justifies. And that is what God has done for us. He did not ignore our sin. On the cross, we see God's justice and his love coming together. The full punishment of our sins needed to be paid. Anything less would have compromised God's character. 
But God also knew that we couldn't pay that price ourselves. There was no way we could earn it. There's no way we could, we could pay that price because it was too high. So God sentenced us to death. That's what Romans 6.23 says, that, that the wages of sin is death. But then it goes on to say that the, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so God made that sentence. He, we have all been condemned to death because of our sin. But then God himself stepped down from his bench. He stepped down from glory. He took on human flesh. He became like one of us and then paid the price himself. That's what happened at the cross was, was God was, was at the same time upholding his righteousness and his justice towards sin, but yet at the same time showing us incomparably great love by paying the price that we could not have paid ourselves. It's a righteousness that is not our own. When we stand before the Lord one day, we cannot claim to have earned it ourselves. All we can do is say, all we can do is point to Jesus and say, I'm with him, right? I, it's his righteousness. It's his goodness that is on display in us. It's nothing we've done to deserve it. Paul in Philippians chapter 3 and, and 2 Corinthians 5.21 talks about the righteousness that is not our own. It's righteousness that comes through Christ by faith. And that is our hope to stand before the Lord one day and say, it's not about what I've done. It's about what Christ has done for me. And it's a sacrifice that is once for all. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 27, as well as chapter 10, verse 12, it, it teaches us that this sacrifice that, that Christ made for us on the cross, it was not about, uh, it was not like the old sacrifices that needed to be offered again and again and again that could never truly pay for our sins. It was a once for all sacrifice, past, present, and future sin have all been forgiven in Christ. That's our assurance. It's not how my, our assurance in the Lord is not, I need to, to be a good person. I need to make myself a better person in order for God to continue to love me. Our assurance is that in Christ, once for all, our sins have been paid for. And there's nothing that we can do that can separate us, that can unearn that love from God. And we've been saved. The Colossians passage teaches us that, that we have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of his son, whom he loves. It's a real tangible change. Scripture uses that, uses a lot of different terms. It talks about being born again. It talks about being a new creation. It talks about the inheritance that we receive as being part of his family. But it's a change that takes place in us. There is no longer any condemnation for those who are in Christ, but that we are now able to live for him. And there's two very real ways that we know and experience that. We've been saved from something. In other words, in Christ, we've been saved from eternal punishment, separation from God forever. We've been saved from the consequences of our sin, and, and, and we've been saved even from death itself. We've been saved ultimately from our, ourselves and our own sinful behavior and bad decisions. Right? We've been saved from that. And so, you know, we don't, we, although we deserve punishment, we have received God's grace and love instead. But we've been also saved for something else. We've been saved not just so that one day we can have a get-out-of-jail-free card and escape punishment, but we've been saved for the purpose of advancing His kingdom in this world. We've been saved for the purpose of being more and more like Christ to ever-increasing glory. We've been saved for the chance to make an impact in this world for Christ, to share the good news of God's love with others. So our, our salvation is not just for one day we'll experience it, but it's for the here and now so that we can know Christ and receive his grace.
So I want to close by giving the opportunity for us all here that are here in this room that are listening on the radio to know and experience that grace for themselves. See, grace is a free gift. It's nothing we can do to earn it. And it comes by faith. It comes by believing in His one and only Son. And that's about trust. It's about acknowledging that He has died for our sins and, and trusting that, that His sacrifice did in fact pay for our sins. That He is the way to the Father. And so there's an easy way to think about this. It's, it's, it's simply three parts. I'm sorry, which is acknowledging our sinfulness. Saying thank you to the Lord for, for sending His Son Christ to die for us and acknowledging, that his, acknowledging His grace and His love. And then it's saying, help me. Help me now to live for you each day. I encourage you to pray with me at this time. Father, we are sorry for our sins. Lord, I stand before you acknowledging that I and, and everyone that can hear the sound of my voice is a sinner in need of a Savior. And I pray, Lord, that you would, uh, that you would cleanse us from our sin, that you would uh, help us to, to live for you each day. So, Lord, we are sorry for those things, and we thank you that you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. We thank you that in him is redemption and eternal life, and that your love is on full display for us on the cross. And Lord, we ask that you would help us now to live for you. Help us to live in response to your grace and your love in our lives. Not because we can earn it, not because we deserve it, but simply out of our gratitude and thankfulness. We ask that you'd help us to live for you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. This time I invite you to, if you're able, to stand and sing in closing number 203, the marked verses of And Can It Be.
Now, by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. You may go in peace.